0: Well, today we are continuing our summer sermon series as we look at the book of Proverbs. I love Proverbs because it's, uh, it's just full of so much wisdom, short, pithy statements and verses that deal with all sorts of issues in life, how we handle our money, how we um, process our, our feelings, uh, how we do relationships or marriage, uh, how we uh, even sex, all sorts of things uh, that just very practical wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And you'll notice on the front of your worship guide, it says handling conflict. We're doing a little bit different. As we work through it this week, we're going to look at the topic of of anger, which, of course, is a a big part of conflict. How do we express our our anger in a way that honors God? How do we process our feelings when we become angry and so on and so forth? And what's the point of anger? Um, So I'm going to read a couple of Proverbs and then a passage from James, and then we're going to jump into this. The first two Proverbs, there's a lot of them on anger. Uh, First one is from chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And uh, then verse 18 of chapter 15 of Proverbs. The hot-tempered stir up dissension, but those who are patient calm a quarrel. And then finally from James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to become angry, because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Many of you uh, will recognize the name Billy Martin. For those of you who don't, uh, Billy Martin was a long-time Major League baseball player, kind of an average baseball player, uh, but he's better known for being a, a Major League manager. In fact, he's a very interesting guy in that he was hired and fired by the same baseball team, the New York Yankees, five times. Hired. Fired, hired, fired by the same owner, George Steinbrenner. He and, he and Billy Martin had kind of an interesting, complex relationship, obviously. He would hire Martin. Martin would get the Yankees doing well, and then he'd get fired. He'd do something. He was a very fiery person, and he would say things sometimes in the press that would upset players or, or Steinbrenner or the general manager. He was known for arguments with the umpires, but he obviously was also a good manager because his teams usually did pretty well. But he was hired and fired five times by the New York Yankees. In his autobiography, number one, Billy Martin told about hunting one time on a trip with Mickey Mantle, another uh, Yankee legend. And Mantle had a friend in Texas who had a ranch, and he would let them come and hunt once in a while. And Martin had never been there, and so Mantle brought Martin to Texas to go hunting on this ranch. And they pulled up to the ranch house, and and, um, Mantle said, wait in the car. I'm going to go in and ask, just let my friend know we're here. So he knows who's out shooting or hunting. And he went in, and, and uh, the, the friend said, Sure, go ahead. You can hunt. Uh, but then he asked Mantle for a favor. Uh, he said, I've got a pet mule. This mule's going blind. I don't have the heart to put him out of his misery. Before you go hunting, could you go to the barn and could you shoot him? Uh, Mantle said, Sure, I can do that. But Mantle wanted to have fun with Martin. And so he came back to the car. He pretended to be upset and angry. He slammed the door. And Martin said, what's wrong? He said, I'm so mad at that guy. I'm so mad he won't let us hunt. I'm going to drive to his barn. I'm going to shoot one of his mules. And he drove like a maniac to the barn. And Martin's like, no, you can't do that. You can't shoot one of his mules. He says, just watch me. So he drove up to the barn. He, he jumped out of the car with his rifle. He ran inside and he shot the mule. And he came back to the car. As he was coming back, he heard two shots. And he ran back and he saw that Martin had his rifle out too. He said, what are you doing, Martin? He said, well, we'll show that son of a gun. I just shot and killed two of his cows. (laughs) True story. It's in his autobiography. Isn't it crazy? Crazy. Proverbs 14, 17 says this. A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and a crafty person is hated. Proverbs 14, 29 says a patient person has great understanding, but... A quick-tempered person displays folly. In Proverbs 29:11 states, A fool gives full vent to their anger, but a wise person keeps himself under control. Isn't that true? I mean, how many times have we given full vent to our anger? We get frustrated. We get angry about something. We just get it off our chest. We just, just blow up. And we end up feeling and looking like a fool. If you're like me. There are too many times to count over the years, but one time stands out in my memory. That happened shortly after we moved here to Slina a number of years ago. Uh, it was our first house. Uh, we've been in two, and it was our first house. It was fixer upper, and we had just one child when we moved in. And it was a, we were remodeling room by room. And um, one day I decided to tackle the, the toilet in our guest bathroom in the hallway. And it was it, it was it was not much to look at. It was kind of falling apart. It was rusty and you know, I thought, we've got to get rid of this thing. It's going to cause problems. And so I began to work on it. It was one of those houses where you had to turn off the water to the whole house just to work on the toilet. Didn't have a shut off valve installed yet. And so I was working on it. One thing went wrong after another. I was getting pretty frustrated. And Nancy was trying to be the supportive, encouraging wife, but it didn't feel like encouragement, you know. And we began to get frustrated. And I said, maybe it'd be a good idea if you took a break and just go run some errands. She thought that was a great idea. And so she grabbed Anna, our daughter, and left. It was a good thing because right after she left, it started to leak all over the place. Water running everywhere. I'm like, ah. Oh. And I'm getting, I'm getting really frosted. And the, somebody knocks at the door. And I thought Nancy had come back, you know, she'd forgotten something. And something snapped. And I yelled out in a not very nice tone, what do you want now? And nobody answered. And I started to get this sick feeling on my stomach. Well, what if it wasn't Nancy. It knocked again. I'm like, huh. So I walked to the door with a lot of trepidation. And it was our neighbor from across the street with her four-year-old son with a present for our daughter. Talk about feeling like a fool. Good thing she had a great sense of humor, so she ribbed me about that for years. We had a lot of fun with it. A fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise person keeps themselves under control. Easier said than done, Right. You know, there's a phrase that we use to describe it when we get really mad. Boy, they got really good and angry. Sounds like that's a bad combination. We're good and angry. Can you be both at the same time, good and angry? I mean, is there such a thing as good anger? I mean, doesn't anger just wreak havoc and, and make things worse in relationships, intensify problems? The scripture tells us that we are created in God's image, right? There's a lot of layers to that. It means that we have the ability to choose, to discern between right and wrong, good and bad, or evil. It means that we've also been given certain emotions that mirror God's character, love, compassion. But we also... Have this thing called anger. I mean, many places in the Old Testament we see God's compassion and His love and His mercy, which is His overriding um, characteristic. But there's also passages that talk about God's anger, and His wrath, and it's compared to a, a burning, a great burning fire. So to be created in God's image means that we have these emotions, these feelings, and sometimes it results in anger. You can think of it as a gift, these emotions that God has given us. And anger can be like many of God's gifts. It can be misused, misapplied. So it might be helpful to think of anger like a tool, like a crowbar, okay? Uh, A crowbar has many useful functions. You can use it to pry open a box or a a window that's stuck. Uh, You can use it to pull nails out of wood. You can use it to lift heavy objects as a lever, But you can also use it to break into somebody's house, uh, to destroy something. You can use it as a weapon. It's a tool that can be used for good or for ill. It depends solely upon the motivations of the person using it and how that person handles that tool. So what are the good and bad uses of anger? Well, let's take a look at probably the best-known passage on anger in the Bible. It's a verse in Ephesians 4. Verse 26, where Paul writes this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So how do we not sin when we're angry? A part of it has to do with our our, our motives, right? So we can say that there's good or constructive anger, and there's bad or destructive anger. So the aggressive anger seeks to punish. Assertive anger seeks to help or to rectify. So, for example, when my kids were younger, if I saw Anna or J.D. or Reed doing something wrong, I would express my displeasure and I would give consequences. It wasn't because I was trying to hurt them. It was because the idea behind the, the motive behind the discipline was to help them, right? To help them to grow, Whereas bad anger's motive is to punish for the sake of hurting and causing pain, to make a point or to try to get even. You know, anger really is often a sign that something needs to be changed, isn't it? It can be our attitude. It can be a situation. It can be something we see in the world. Anger is often a single signal that something needs to be changed. So if you're a friend of mine and I continually let you down, you're going to be disappointed, you're going to be frustrated, and then you're going to become angry. And you can choose to express that anger in one of two ways. You can come to me and say, Hey, Doug, when you, when you do this over and over, I, I become angry. If you keep this up, it's going to be hard to have a good relationship with you. And I want a good relationship with you. That builds the friendship. Or you can let me have it. Or even worse, you can withdraw in anger. And that has the potential to do lasting harm and damage to the relationship. It builds up barriers. In that relationship. So anger can be used to build a relationship, to give feedback about the behaviors and attitudes which keep us apart. It's a tool which, if used properly, can also also help grow our relationship with God. This ties into Ephesians 4, 26 again. In your anger, Paul says, do not sin. You know, the media is chock full of stories. You can Every day, you can go to a, a news website, uh, even a local Slana journal, and you can find an article or news blurb about somebody who lost their temper or did something out of anger. Uh, for example, maybe, maybe you remember from a few months ago or so, there was a there was a, a, a incident of road rage, incident of road rage in Um uh, Somebody was feeling slighted in traffic, and they followed a truck until the truck pulled over. They rammed into the truck over and over, did thousands of damage. To both vehicles. In our anger, Paul says, "Do not sin." He says, "Be careful." In effect, paraphrase: "Be careful when you get mad, because sin is right there waiting for you. Do not give Satan a foothold." And, and what happens when we sin in our anger is that obstacles in our relationship with God are put in place. He still loves us, but there's a there's there's there's, there's something in our hearts in our life that that hardens and. And there's a there's a there's a there's a a obstacle that's set in place within our relationship with God. You know, anger, when you think about it, when used as a tool tool of self-reflection and self-examination, can deepen our relationship with God. Let me explain. We'll start with the easy stuff. Think about a pet peeve you might have. Okay, my one of my pet peeves, I'm not ashamed to admit it, is. When I walk into a room and the lights are on and nobody's there, it bugs me. I don't know why it does. So I'll turn it off. You know, I don't know why I do it. I do it at church. I do it at home. It's just a little pet peeve I have. Somebody very close to me, I won't tell you who that person is, gets pretty irritated when the food is served and it gets cold. Does anybody feel that way? It's not me. Somebody in our household. Somebody who prepares the food. But I won't tell you, I won't tell you who that person is. We all have our pet peeves. Okay? But let's take it to a deeper level. What are some of the things that anger you most in life? Now now I know sometimes we we get angry about something and it's really something else that we're really mad about. I I know that happens. But when we self-reflect and we self-examine, what are the things we get most angry about in life? You know, anger is one of the most powerful and primal emotions there is. Because it reveals deep passion and feeling. And I would propose that whatever we get most passionate about, in general, are the things that, we are most, that are most important to us. Now, if that holds true, then think for a moment what your anger reveals about your priorities. Anger should be spent on important things, not trivial. I mean, people who, people who get upset about small, petty things are wasting their energies. Now, before you get angry with me for poking around in your lives here, remember, I'm the guy who got upset about a little toilet overflow. My purpose is not to judge or upset because we're all sinners and none of us are perfect. We all blow it with our anger. But I believe that looking at our anger and what spurs it can give us insight into where we need to grow in our relationship with God. God. In Christ. And as we discover what our anger reveals about our priorities, we can, with God's help, begin to reorder our lives in such a way as to better honor God and to know the abundant life that Christ came to give. So what are some of the things, before we close up here and go to communion, what are some of the things which should anger us? Well, in all matters of the faith, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is not comprehensive, but what are some of the things that upset Jesus when he walked this earth? And I would assume they're the same things that upset him today. The first story comes from Mark 11, where I read, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, "It is—is is it not written, 'My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations'? But you have made it a den of robbers." Now, what's going on here? Now, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That his death on the cross—it's once and for all. We don't have to keep sacrificing over and over to make ourselves right with God. His sacrifice is once and for all for us. But before Christ came. It was our perfect sacrifice. There was an Old Testament sacrificial system that was set up where people could have a way to, to make sacrifices for their sins. So if you did something wrong and you knew you did something wrong, you would go to the priest and they would, they would offer a prayer. They would make a sacrifice for you and, and you were made right with God. And usually the preference was you'd bring a bull or a goat or a sheep, but not everybody could afford that. There were a lot of poor people. And so there are allowances made, they could have a dove, much cheaper, much smaller, much easier to bring. They could have a dove sacrificed on their behalf. So there are allowances made so that there were no barriers between a person and, and God's mercy and grace, depending on how much money you made and where you lived and who you knew. But in this context... In this context, there are these vendors in the temple courts and they're selling doves and they're gouging people. They're, they're charging them way more than it's worth. And so they're building barriers between people and pe- between people who need uh, God's forgiveness and grace. They're building barriers and, and they're making a mockery about God's plan of, of, of mercy and compassion and reconciliation. So Jesus was very angry because of the injustice and the exploitation of the poor, and the disrespect and mockery of God and his values and his plans. Secondly, another incident, Mark 3, where I read, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill, but they remained silent. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. So why is Jesus angry here? There's a lack of compassion. There's a lack of mercy. These religious leaders are focusing on on the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. They're more concerned about doing things the right way than doing the right thing. This man needs help. And they, they justify not giving him help by falling back on the letter of the law. And this upsets Jesus because their focus and their priorities are in the wrong place. It says they have stubborn and hard hearts. But notice that Jesus not only expresses anger, but there's another emotion there. It says he had grief. He was deeply grieved, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He was crushed. He was angry at them, but he also felt great grief because of their spiritual condition. And the motive behind that was love. Jesus loves all people, even when he's angry and saddened when we do stupid and sinful things. So how can we be good and angry? First, we need to check the motives behind our anger. Are we expressing anger in a way that builds relationships or that tears them down? Is our motive love? Second, we are to check our priorities. What are the things about which we get the most angry? And what does that reveal about our priorities and our relationship with God and our value of other people? Are they the things which upset God? Things which mock God, which exploit others, which keep people from God. Because remember, the things which really get us angry reveal what's most important to us. And if we want to be good and angry, we are to follow the example of Christ. Bob Pierce was such a man. He became so fed up with the poverty, hunger, disease, and injustice of much of the world that he said, May my heart be broken by the things which break the heart of God. And his anger about the pain he saw drove him to action and compassion in Christ's name. And he founded Compassion International. So perhaps for our purposes, we can adapt his words and commit ourselves to this. May our hearts be angry about the things which anger the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your character that you're a God of love and of compassion and mercy, but you're also a God who cares so deeply about his people that, that you express anger, you feel anger when people are hurt, when people are missing the point, when people are exploited and used, and when people's hearts become hard. Lord, help us to grow in our, our expression of anger that we would not give full vent to it, and prove ourselves fools, but rather, Lord, that we would would care about the things that you care about, that we become distressed about the things that you become distressed about, and that in our relationships we'd express our disappointment, our frustration, our, yes, even anger, in ways which seek to build, to change, uh, to reconcile, and to help.